I said, hey, ladies and fellas, if you're listening, as a woman of color, it is so hard to find lipsticks and glosses that really pop on my beautiful brown skin. Y'all know what I'm talking about? When the lipstick is giving lackluster instead of Lil Mama, okay? (laughs) Well, I discovered the most radiant, saturated, and pigmented lipsticks for richer complexions, and I found them at the Lip Bar. The Lip Bar is a black woman-owned and led beauty brand that focuses on providing effortless beauty options for all women, but especially women like us with highly melanated skin. Oh, and did I forget to mention that all Lip Bar products are vegan and cruelty-free? Get into it, friends. Make sure you click the link in the show notes to receive 10% off your first or next order of beauty products at the Lip Bar. Hashtag, you're welcome. Been in churches and felt like I had to shield or put away or like not bring out some part of who I was in order to be there. But yeah, God is gracious and was like, no, I've got a place for you where you can go and be yourself. You are now listening to the Sugar Free Podcast, the premier life advice podcast for millennial women. Welcome to the Tea Party, friends. Now tell me, girl, how you like your tea, you know it's sugar free. How you like your tea? Up in here, we like it sugar free. Come through, stop by, get up with me. With your girl sitting back, I'm a little crazy. Ooh, right here with me. It's where you wanna be. Wanna be. Let's get it sugar free. Yeah. Tell me, girl. Me, girl. How you like your tea? How you like it? You know it's sugar free. Hey friends, and welcome to another episode of the Sugar Free Podcast, the life advice podcast for millennial women hosted by me, your homegirl in your head, Sid Mack. And I just want to begin this episode with an announcement. Is this thing on? Can y'all hear me? Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Because I am so incredibly happy to announce that we, friends, have hit 10,000 downloads. Can I get a round of applause? Oh my gosh, I am so incredibly excited to share with y'all that we hit 10,000 downloads last week. Wonderful news, right? So so thank you guys. I cannot let this moment pass without thanking you all sincerely for coming on this journey with me, for rocking out with me, and for being loyal, for, for downloading, for sharing, for commenting, for liking, whatever you're doing out there, thank you. Thank you. And to all of my guests, thank you. There would literally be no show without you. So thank you. And with that, let's get into this week's episode. So this week we are talking about a topic we really haven't covered in isolation. We've had a few guests who are committed to their faith or whose faith have been instrumental to their journeys and their storytelling cover faith right but we haven't talked about faith in isolation and today we are talking about just faith friends 
we are talking about the necessity of the church, not religion, the necessity of the church um, for younger generations, specifically millennials, Gen Zers, and those who may come later on after us. And the reason why I wanted to cover this topic is because church just isn't something that is integrated within the fabric of younger culture and society in ways that it used to be. And so I wanted to take a moment to really evaluate the relationship of the church, the significance of the church, and kind of where we see the future of the church going. But I wanted us to take a moment today to hear from some millennials who do believe that the church uh, can serve as a cornerstone and foundation for faith in present day modern society right where we are now and so I, I just wanted to hear from them and i thought it would be valuable for you all to hear from them as well so so let's see right let's get into it <laughs> okay all right so to get us started i have invited two millennial faith leaders who are both very active in the church so to get us started uh, Jocelyn, why don't you go ahead and get us started first, and then we will kick it to Demarius for an introduction. So Jocelyn, please start by telling the good people who you are and what you do. Hi, everyone. I am Jocelyn Henderson. I am 32 years old. Old. <laughs> what are words? 32 <laughs> years old. I am the director of worship arts at a church at a multicultural, multi-generational, multi-denominational um, inclusive church in Northeast Washington, D.C. I grew up Baptist. You know, a lot of people say Baptist born, Baptist bred, and when I die, I'll be Baptist dead. But uh, I was Baptist born, and I'm going where the money reside. Amen. So, yeah. <laughs> amen. I love it. I love it. Uh, Demarius, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself next? Hey everyone, my name is Demarius Newsom. Um, I'm an attorney here in Metro Atlanta. Outside of that, I'm also a deacon at the Ray of Hope Christian Church, uh, the Reverend Dr. Cynthia L. Hale. I've been in church all my life, raised non-denominational, presently Christian Church Disciples of Christ. Personally, wherever wherever God is at, that works for me. Okay, well, how old are you, Demarius? Because I feel like we need to know how old we are for this particular conversation just because as we're talking about younger generations leaving the mm -hmm. church, there may be different feelings, thoughts, uh, positions, emotions, you know, depending on where you're at and where you're stationed in life. So how old, how old are you? Well, I'm 29. I should be 30 in September. You're that old. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You, you, met, you met me a while. You met me a little while ago now, Sydney. <laughs> so for my listeners out there, Demarius is my Hampton little brother. And I he not little no more. Look at you. <laughs> Look at you. So I guess I'll go ahead and share mine as well. So I have no church home and no church affiliation. I'm 32 years old. I was baptized in the Presbyterian church, but as I've gotten older, I have moved around and experienced lots of different churches. I would say mostly Baptists here in Atlanta, being in the South, that's where a lot of the black people reside. And so that's where I found myself, but I don't necessarily consider myself to be religious, I consider myself to be spiritual. So 
<laughs> I think that's a good place to kind of start in framing the conversation. And so the reason why we're having this discussion today, like I'm so super excited about having this talk because I feel like in 2022, you just don't hear people saying, oh, I'm going to church on Sunday, like it being a part of the fabric of their everyday lives as much as you did in generations past. And so I thought it was really important for us to have a real in-depth conversation about religion and the role it plays in our lives as millennials and potentially Gen Zers, and then how we view religion now and where we think it's going in the future. So let's let's get into it. I want to know how y'all got introduced to church. I can go first on this one. Um, yeah. I got in- So I got introduced to church from birth. And when I say that, because my home church, United Faith Fellowship back up in Meadville, was actually started back in 1991. I was born in 1992. Church at that particular point was being pastored by my grandmother. We so born so born in born in and under beneath and behind the cross was literally how I came up, and then just being involved in church in a wide variety of ways. So Meadville is actually up in Pennsylvania, like right south of Lake Erie, maybe about like 30, 35 minutes. So closer to Canada than it is to here. And then it's like so, like I said, being involved in church and a wide variety of ministries from a very young age all the way up until now. So my relationship with church has kind of changed as I've grown, both like not only my age, but then also like in my relationship to what church is, but then also my relationship there with God. Mm. So would you consider yourself to be like a preacher's kid? Basically, because because while because while my direct parents aren't preachers, my grandmother, who is like it's like mom, grandma, that's how our relationship is. And I'm in essence, her other child. So, yes, I'm a preacher's kid. Okay, so I have a follow up question real quick. So there is a lot of I feel like stereotypes that come along with people who are considered preachers kids. And I don't know if you're one as well, Jocelyn, I'm sure you'll tell us in a second. But what are some of the stereotypes associated with being a preacher's kid? Enlighten us. (laughs) So the stereotypes include that we think that we're better than everybody else or otherwise like the image of perfection but also that we're just as reckless as everything as everyone else and everyone else may necessarily be. That's a, that's a lot of what I know I had to grow up with, what I had to deal with. But it was always one of the things where I'm like, just because I'm a preacher's kid does not mean that I'm better than the rest of you and you don't got to place me on that kind of a pedestal. I'm just as human as you are. We go to the same school. We, 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 we hang out, we do the same activities. The only thing that makes us different is our parentage, but don't treat me different just because of that parentage. But do you feel like there's like some additional pressures on you as a when you're a preacher's kid to behave a certain way? Internals, internal pressures, external pressures, some from the family, some from the church, because from the church, because of the church, the church is looking to the pastor, looking to the preacher as whatever that example is supposed to be. So then they end up looking at us like, well, here's a, here's an example of of proper behavior, which we all should be exhibiting proper behavior in the first place. But then from the family front, it's like, okay, so as you know, this is my ministry, X, Y, and Z. These are the standards for the certain, this is the standards for the certain kind of behavior because it'll be all, because sometimes about, sometimes we have to end up making the, have to maintain that same kind of image for the rest of the congregation as well. In addition to make sure that we're actually doing the things that we're supposed to do. Mm. Um, but then that mm. pressure, to, but that pressure to be perfect though none is perfect but the lowly Jesus is very is very present for a lot of us and then we sometimes end up internalizing the same pressure and then either isolating ourselves to do so or otherwise wilding out Mm, 
I want to get Jocelyn in here. Jocelyn, um, why don't you go ahead and weigh in with how do you, how you got introduced to church? Um, so I am a pastor's kid. My father is a Baptist pastor. From the time I was born, uh, pastoring for like 35-ish years, maybe more than that. And he's been um, preaching for a lot longer than that. Don't quote me on these years. I hope my dad doesn't hear this. Anyway, <laughs> um, my father pastors, my mother is a pastor's daughter. So all of my aunts and uncles on her side, they're all like super churchy people. Uh, my, my uncle, my mother's brother pastors their home church in Chicago. My father pastors in Gary, Indiana, but he, he's also pastored in Atlanta, Georgia, which is where I, where I went to undergrad. And when I was a child there, I saw people going through Spelman anyway, da, 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 da. and that's how I ended up there. But anywho, I grew up in Atlanta because um, my father pastored there. He also pastored in Akron, Ohio. Um, and now he's pastoring in Gary, Indiana. Um, but yeah, from birth, um, I, the church that the churches that we were a part of and still are a part of that my father pastors now were PNBC churches. And PNBC is the Progressive National Baptist Convention. Um, PNBC was started in the 60s uh, during the civil rights, during like the first beginnings of the civil rights movement um, by Garner Taylor and Martin Luther King. So they, uh, shot, they're an offshot of the National Baptist Convention, um, but they looked around and said, black people need a more upwardly mobile. We need to, uh, things are not good for us right now. And the church needs to really be at the forefront of that conversation and doing stuff uh, and Garner Taylor and MLK started PNBC back in the 60s. So yeah, I'm Baptist, but I'm also, I'm Baptist with a strong denominational bent and lean to PNBC. I so, think yeah. it's so interesting that both of you have a back, like we're kind of raised in the church. I feel like that's a, such an important part or reason probably for your involvement in the church now, because I can't say this is true for everyone because I don't know everyone's story, but I, I feel like I've seen and observed more often than not that the the adults now who are most involved in church now are were raised in the church. I, I just want to say if, if somebody were to ask me two years ago if I would be serving in a church in the capacity that in the capacity that I am today, I would have never said yes. Ooh. Like, yeah, agreed. I. You know, I have gone through some things with the church, with the Big C Church, also with the local church. So my being a part of church right now is is God being like, no, you can't run from it. So this is where you are. This is what I've called you to. This is the church, and you're doing that. Um, it was a it was a matter of looking around and being like, I am all of these things. So like, I am Black liberation womanist worship leader, scholar, theologian, Black, I really like him. Like, what is my place? What is my place? Like, my bent toward hymnody puts me in a more traditional space, but also my uh, theology puts me in a very progressive and liberal space, too. So where am I going to 
be able to. What's a hymnody? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Listen, listen. My listeners know I'm a heathen, so please no, use. Oh, that's bad. Break down the word. Hymnody and hymnology are the study of hymns, like Christian. Oh. Hymn. Well, Christian hymns, yeah. Okay. I'm gonna, In my I can, mind, I'm I heard that. him, so I thought, but right, I right, right. That that was a good question. Thank you. Look, I I love it. I could go all day. Look, I could go all day with this. But yes. Ooh, yes. So, so I didn't I didn't know that there was ever going to be a place for me because I had been in church, and I know we're gonna get into into a little bit of that later. But I had been in churches and felt like I had to shield or put away or like not bring out some part of who I was in order to be there. Look a certain way, talk a certain way, act a certain way. But yeah, God is gracious and was like, no, I've got a place for you where you can go and be yourself. I'm really grateful. Yeah. Mm. To piggyback on that one, um, and, this, and, this, and if I was going to ask myself the same question, which if I was going to be, if I expect to see myself serving the same capacity or more capacity as I am now, no. Because growing up, since I was always having to be involved with ministry over and over and over again, sometimes by choice, other times not by choice, once I stepped out on my own, more so to connect with God in a different kind of way and connect with the church in a different kind of way, that then me being in ministry then became my honest choice to do so. I just, of course, both you know, I, just, I do music. I like singing with my choirs. I like having fun. That's where I can necessarily find my spaces. But I also liked, I also did eventually like being involved in the church, but then sometimes like, I want to step back because I need to make sure that I'm getting what I need and not sacrificing my, and not sacrifice my own needs as well as everything else in my schedules necessarily there for the church. But it wasn't until I came into a space where I was encouraged to push forward as I needed to and to get involved as I wanted to, that I then began to serve more earnestly in stream rural care as I do now, as well as also with the young adult ministry, because I'm recognizing the importance of what the community of the church is supposed to mean, and then pushing that same kind of community message forward. Because mm. we're gonna, yeah, I but I think it's so important, right? Because as a person who did not really grow up in the church in that way. Like when you talk about you navigating through life, because I feel like both of you kind of said this, like you didn't see yourself. But as you started thinking about the things that you felt like most aligned with the things that you like to do and you know what I mean? Like it started to lead you back to the church. But because I didn't have that kind of rooting in the church, like the things that I like to do ain't in the church. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, as I'm thinking about where I fit, I don't necessarily see that as being my place. I, I don't dislike it as a place, but it's just like on Sunday, that ain't where I need to be. <laughs> so I just want to get right. Well, it's felt. Completely <laughs> understood. Yes, amen. That's it. Well, even like hymns, because you said hymns is, you know, I I would love to sing with y'all, but I only know two church songs. So, you know what I mean? Like, y'all go have to give me a, a precursor, like, g- give me a hymn. You know, let me let me study in advance, because if it's not, you know, like a Mary Mary song or something that's more commercial, I got Amazing Grace on tap and maybe that's it. <laughs> 
same actually um because because even because really? even as because even as involved in the church as i am there's still only like the few hymns that i can randomly just pull out because it's like though i grew up with some hymns my church was more so moving in the direction of what does the congregation need and then looping back into him then looping back into hymns as they otherwise became relevant or necessary because we were a younger church we were a younger church but we were a younger church with a younger demographic but also not only just younger in age but also just younger in the faith so it was really more so about so what does God want from you and how can you end up being your best person and be the person that God wants you to be and what that looks like and how the music flows is how it flows. So I really didn't start getting involved more so in understanding hymns until college and through law school and also even now at the Ray. But shout out to the hymns because the hymns have stood the test of time for a reason because there's oil in the hymns. So, the, so, so, so it's really the few hymns that I do hold on to are the hymns that I then become to identify with on aspects of my journey. What kind of oil is it? Olive? <laughs> Avocado? Coconut? What kind, what kind of oil? Jojo. It's Jojo. <laughs> Listen, when I tell y'all God is working on me, he is working on me. So I just want to get to the essential question. Do we need church as a modern society in 2022? Even both of you being preacher's kids or PKs uh, growing up in the church, you both have mentioned a feeling of not being sure whether the church was the right place for you. Like, you know what I mean? And so I'm shocked to hear that, given your background and experience. And so have we evolved past the necessity of church as a modern society? I'm a jump in. Uh, it's a no for me. Um, I don't think we have. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we've evolved past the need for the church. I do think that the church, the church as it has been, cannot be who it continues to be. Um, I think we've got to deconstruct to reconstruct. Um, the ideas of what church is so how how we i mean the pandemic proved that to us whatever we thought church was as far as getting up on sunday morning going getting dressed looking a certain way and going up to the church to be in church we had to completely reshape our thinking but more so than something like physical like that um the church has done a lot and i don't i say that without fear of being a fear of misrepresentation the church has done a lot of oppressing different people groups so it's pride month for a long for i'm about to say a long time like it's ended but uh, like queer people don't necessarily feel welcome in churches queer people don't necessarily serve or see themselves on staff or on stage or like in leadership in leadership positions and the shit has to change and that's just what it is so yeah we need the church but we also need to take a critical eye to what the church is what she was intended to do which i know is somewhere in there too um like to be the hands and the feet of god to be the hands and the feet of jesus to, to be christ-like to be out in the community you look like you got the job. Yeah, in. I just no, I just wanted to say, what does that mean? The hands and the feet of God. What does that mean? Uh, okay. So 
<laughs> so the, the church is called to be um, out in the <clears throat> to go. We are charged to go you therefore into all nations, preaching the goodness and the gospel of Jesus Christ. But yeah, so the church has been charged to um, be Christ-like and do do what Jesus do, does. You know, not necessarily healing people. You know, but out representing Christ, making conditions better for all people, all the good things you could think that a society would do. Um, the church has been mandated to do that. And I think the church, a lot of us can benefit from actually doing that. Yeah. And not, and not just doing it for people who believe the way we do. Like my church, we, we support a refugee family not a like Christian refugee family. These are like Afghan refugees that came over here fleeing violence, but we have been in their lives. I just a couple, maybe last week, last week, I went with one of the pastors over to their house to go deliver a bed. Somebody we know got them communicate, got them hooked up with us and we have been supporting them, not not for nothing. We're we're doing it because that's our mandate as the church, um, to be God's hands and feet. So yeah. Whatever yeah. you whatever I'm ready to jump. I'm ready yeah, to jump. Yeah, go go ahead. Go ahead. All go right. ahead. So and on this and on that same token, it's actually also it's also interesting that you do mention you do mention Pride Month. Happy Pride Month, everybody. Um, because as you said, the church has done a lot of oppressing across the board, not just within the African-American community, but across any and all communities for obviously for, for a long period of time. There's been there's been the good work, but there's the work that the church still has to continue to move forward on, which is making sure there's still always going to be a place and a space for people. Because if Christ came for us all, that means there should be space for us all. And if Christ came to do if Christ came to do the work and to teach the work to everyone, that means there is no space, there is no such thing as there can't be a space for everyone. And that's regardless of your color, that's regardless of your creed, that's regardless of your sexuality, that's regardless of anything else, because God, there's there's space for you there. And I've come to find that some I've come to find that the 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 image of the church, unfortunately, has become has become one where you have to be a certain way, you have to look a certain way. You can't be like you. You can't be. You can't be openly queer. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of things that come along with that general image of the church, and unfortunately, that has come as a result of some of the church's actions. So, in terms of we, so we haven't evolved from the need for the church because the church is supposed to evolve with the needs of the people. Ooh, <laughs> but the church itself needs to evolve if it expects to survive. And that means go. That means at that means Jesse Johnson said before to deconstruct, to reconstruct, to better understand, to take a look at what the Christ model is. Because of because of Christ, because of because of Christ loves. If Christ so loved, so if Christ so loved the world, and there's the love of Christ from the church, and we are supposed to be demonstrating godly love across the board, being the hands and feet of God, going forth, going forth and teaching the nations to observe all things as He has also commanded, etc., etc., etc. From Matthew 28 and everywhere else. That then means we have to demonstrate that same kind of love to any and all people. This so, would probably be so much more impactful if I knew any verse from the Bible. <laughs> Listen, am I the only one that's like, well, this sounds so good, but I'm sure it has some kind of deep meaning. So Matthew 20, see, Matthew 28 is the account, is the account of the resurrection according to the gospel of Matthew. 
And it says right here, it's like, and he came and spake to them. He's like, all power is given unto me, both in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And I'm with you always, even until the end of time. That's okay. that simple block right there, at least for, as I understand it, is the charge of the church. Gotcha. There was a few things that I want to unpack about what you just said. So the first thing is that the church not being accepting of people of different beliefs, faiths, what have you. And I don't identify as LGBTQ, but I do identify as an ally. And but that aside, I feel like even I don't know that I felt like I belonged in in church and you know what I mean? And, and I don't necessarily identify with things that the church has like wholly condemned or has the reputation of. But it's just like, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I didn't go grow up going to church regularly. Like I re- never forget my first experience at Hampton. Hampton's like very like got a lot of religious underpinnings all of that and it was like Sunday and I was talking to some people and they were like oh you can dress for church I was like no <laughs> like because it had never been a part of my routine on Sunday and so growing up and so I was like no and I was like people do that and they were like they looked at me crazy like I was crazy like and so it, it's not necessarily like I think the judgment of just like these certain groups of people like in terms of like what you look like or it's also what what you believe and if you don't believe the same things like I I have felt a lot of judgment from from the church community and felt like I I can't be honest like I can't like like Jocelyn had mentioned I I can't show up as my full self I I don't wear pantyhose I I I uh, don't tell my mama this, but I curse sometimes a little bit. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it just doesn't feel like a place where you can really be yourself. And it's like, why would I want to dedicate that kind of time to these spaces? And so I, I, I'm interested to know from you all, like, have you all experienced that? And like, what types of things have you seen where the church has stood in judgment and that judgment has kept people from the church? I'll jump in to say uh, I saw the radical acceptance and that made me lean in so i'm sure there are people with stories about how people have been historically you know shut out from the church um that hadn't been my that hasn't been my experience because i wouldn't go to those places i just would not go right so uh but i knew of friendship west in dallas texas while I was in the seminary in Waco, I knew of Friendship West because I spent a year working in Houston and my pastor in Houston and, and Dr. Haynes and um, Dallas were good friends and would go back and forth to one another's churches. So when I was in seminary, near somewhere near the end, when I had gotten very jaded with church life, um, I was like, let me just go and see what they talking about. And I went to the church and the preacher that was up preaching might have been the executive pastor i think maybe is who he is but he was up there using gender neutral language for god at this point i'm well into my seminary journey so i i know that god can be spoken about in more language than in mask than than is masculine 
right? So, and we just already talked about God is spirit. So to give God human attributes is to, to make a human out of something that's spirit anyway. So the preacher who was up there preaching and using, using God to describe God, or, or that's what it was, using God to talk about God instead of he to talk about God. <laughs> I felt really at home by that. So I started going more regularly. I came on a Sunday morning, went into the bathroom, came out and was washing my hands. And to me, what appeared, I can't say with certainty because you, you don't know how a person identifies unless they tell you themselves. Um, it appeared to be a trans woman in the bathroom with me um, that was comfortable enough to be at that church on Easter Sunday morning. That to me spoke volumes and that said more to me about the church than than anyone could ever anyone could ever say from the pulpit that a trans woman comfortable enough to be there. I was like, oh shit, it's different up in here. It's different, different, different. So yeah, there are places where folks have been historically shut out, told not to come back. Um, I've heard the stories about pregnant women having to get up and apologize to the congregation. Um, when two people was having sex, I almost said the F word, but the Lord convicted me. <laughs> but two people yes. were having sex and, and like the onus is put on this woman. But all that to say, I leaned in once I saw some radical acceptance. Once, not even, that's not even radical to have a person that God made in God's own image there at church. Anyway, but yeah, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at with it. Mm. To, piggy, to piggyback on that, um, to piggyback on that, I didn't start, I didn't start leaning into church again as, so as heavily until I felt, until I, get, so I, until I also felt like I had some kind of connection. And for me, for me growing up, being as close to my pastor as I was, not just from a familial standpoint, but also from a shepherd or sheep standpoint, that's always something that I wanted. And I never wanted to, and I never wanted to feel as though I couldn't get to my pastor if I just, I, could, I couldn't get to my pastor if I needed them. Um, so when I first visited at the Ray of Hope, that was the immediate thing that I saw. And I literally remember after my very first service, Dr. Hale went straight from the pulpit to the back door. And she's been, she, she's, she's sending, she's sending her blessing to all the rest of the other people. And as I'm standing here waiting to, you know, to introduce myself, she's, she's talking with, she's talking with all of the members of the congregation saying, Hey, so-and-so has like, how's your, like, how's your cousin's X, Y, and Z going? I'm keeping you guys lifted in prayer or sees the small children run up. She's like, it's, Hey babies, how was school? Like, it's like, is you guys ready to go back to school? X, Y, and Z. Like she's familiar, she's intimately familiar with all of the sheep. And then even when I came, I was like, is Dr. Hale want to introduce myself? She's like, yeah, I saw you walking on in. I was waiting to go ahead and meet you. It's, I'm glad to have you here. You should stay here with us. I've now been there for four and a half years because that's the same kind of connection that I felt. And then, and then also, also with me now, it's also with me now being, being an open bisexual male and being at my church, I also felt like I was able to lean into church even more because I, I found that safe space with my pastor. Because I remember having the conversation. I remember having the conversation with my pastor. She was like, "I honestly just wanted to know, but I wanted to let you know that you are always going to have a place here, that you are always safe here, and to walk freely." That's so powerful. 
when, <laughs> when I see, oh Lord, their stuff is falling. Just their stuff is falling from the sky. Jesus. Oh Lord. <laughs> right. But I said, but I said, but I literally remember like after that part of the conversation, I was telling him like, it's like Dr. Hale, like that, let that just lifted a huge weight off my shoulder. She's like, it's, I bet, it's like, it's, I bet, it's like, I bet it did breathe. And then I cried in my car the whole way home. So that's, so that for me indicates a lot of where, I say where the church can be in terms of that openness and that acceptance, that openness for space, for people to be as they are and to serve God the best that they can and to find that love for God and to find that love for people. And that's the direction the church, in my opinion, needs to continue to go. Mm. Mm. Thank you for sharing that story. Um, I, that that's so powerful for for so many reasons. I I, I want to go back to a few things that you said. The first thing is you mentioned your pastor knowing all the sheep in the church, and forgive me if I've minced the words, but um, knowing basically everybody in the church and creating an atmosphere of, of family and connection and community. And I feel like a lot of churches have kind of lost that feeling. And I think historically, the black church, especially in black communities, has been the cornerstone of the community. Right. Like this is where we go to not only worship, but this is where we go for after school. This is where we go for the block party. Like the, the church was that that spot. You know, this is where we come to uh, better ourselves as a community. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't just that place you go to on Sunday. It was a place that you go to every single day of the week. And, and I've been reading articles lately that have mentioned the church only being open on Sunday, not even a place that you can go to Monday through Saturday. Right. And so it's like lost that feeling of being a cornerstone of the community and also the pastor being accessible in a way. Right. Where people feel comfortable. I, I went to a church in Atlanta. And I used to go there when I was back in law school. So this was years ago. And the pastor, we, they have five location and he flies to each location on a helicopter sponsored by the church. Right. And so it was his birthday and he had in the announcements for that week, an announcement about his birthday party and the tickets for the birthday party were $50. That for me was like, I never went back to the church after that because I was like, as a pastor, why are you forcing people to pay $50 to celebrate your birthday with you? I was like, look, if you want to have a party, fine, but you should offer your parishioners an opportunity to at least have a sheet cake with you in the back for fellowship or something. You know what I mean? Like we, we don't have to all go to your party, but that should not be the only opportunity that you offer your congregation to fellowship with you and, and, you know, commune with you on your birthday. And I really just didn't appreciate that. I was like, I'm good. Like it felt like a money grab. And I felt like a lot of preachers have made themselves inaccessible. They have put themselves on a pedal that really doesn't make it feel like a community. And then it also like they put themselves on this pedestal to where they you they might like a little bit better than you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't I don't want to say that they are, but but that's how I felt. And so I don't know if you guys experienced that as well. But that's something that that's that's one of my gripes with the church, like ugh, my faith in the leadership. And the intentions of the leadership is not like the community that you described. I have, I've seen, I've seen, uh, I was going to say, I've, I've seen several sides to this point. 
No, I've I've said I've been in churches where the pastor seems to be inaccessible. But um once you start serving in the church, once you start like getting involved in the church, the pastor doesn't seem as inaccessible. So I was uh on staff at a mega church out in Houston whose name I will not I don't say the name of churches quite a bit because I don't want nobody coming after me about no no bullshit period but uh <laughs> anyway unless it's that first church I worked at I don't give a fuck about them anyway so <laughs> uh, can I just say that I love your like freedom with your the language because it's so like opposite of what you would think of a church person and I am blessed to be able, and that took a lot of unlearning and undoing. Why am I pretending to not curse in public when I curse for real? Like, why am I pretending to, why am I presenting a version of myself to people that's not my true self? Like, I mean, there are, I'm not gonna cuss on Sunday morning. You know, there's a time and a place, but if I'm out having drinks or in my home on the phone with my people, no, I'm going to be cursing because that's how I talk, you know, like um, I listen to I listen to the Dear Culture podcast and George G.M. Johnson was on there. The, he's they're the author of All Boys Aren't Blue, um, which was one of the banned books when the world started banning books like two years ago. Anywho, they were on there talking about how um, adults feel like there needs to be this barrier between how we talk how they talk and how not even kids talk how how adults talk parents talk and their children talk like why is it okay for you to use curse words with your people but i can't use curse words with you what type of message are you sending are we not both adults i don't get it anywho but yeah, so the inaccessibility piece. My my pastor, and this was a huge church in Houston, and I'm sure there were people who would say, "No, I don't. I don't actually know him. <laughs> like, I don't know him for real like that." But there are people who can call him, like at a at the drop of a hat, and those are the people who either have been there for quite some time or are involved in the life of the church. Um, not that that should be the case. And the other side of the coin is I'm at a church now where we just had karaoke with the people like three weeks ago. Karaoke, like at Walk and Roll in Northwest DC, like drinks, songs, music, real people. That night, I it was it wasn't a paradigm shift because it's always it's always been really apparent to me since I began the process of coming here in September that this church was going to be different than any church I had ever served before. Like the my pastors are accessible. They're like right here. If you need them, call. If you need them, send an email. Like that it's nothing. It's not an assistant that's gonna get back to you. It's gonna be them themselves. And we're a small church, so you know, that's one part of it too, but it's who profits from a pastor being uh, stonewalled or like a person you can't come to. Like, how how are you a shepherd when, if your flock cannot come to you? What? And, the good, I'm sorry. Talk, preach. 
because because the good shepherd was on the ground doing the work and making sure that he would not be that he would not be inaccessible to the people and the church said amen yeah so so i am very blessed to be in a position where i'm at a church where I am accessible where the uh, where the rest of the staff are accessible, the pastors are accessible, and we're not we're not pretending to be anything other than who we are. And God called us as we are. My cousin asked, God called me just as I am. God didn't expect me to be the same person that God that I was when God called me, and I'm not. Um, right? So, but all this all the stuff that mainstream popular culture white evangelical christianity worries itself about um as far as getting to heaven or not i don't think god could care less about who you sleep with how you talk how you god is concerned with how are you treating people love the lord your god love the lord your god with all your heart mind soul and strength love your neighbor as yourself that's what jesus said jesus Jesus, Big J. So, so okay. let me let me get this straight. So so Jesus don't care if I'm fornicating. He don't care. Oh oh please, I girl, what is fornication? <laughs> the, 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 okay, <laughs> what somebody said is it premarital sex if I don't plan to get married? Like what? <laughs> what are we talking about? There are people who there are church there are clergy who are sex positive. I am one of the sex positive people. If you are not doing harm to another person, um, then I don't, I don't believe. My God has not revealed it to me. Now, this wasn't always my position when I was in high school or maybe some time in college after. I was thinking I was struggling with this sex thing, but um, God made our bodies, our flesh good. God, God made us good. Liberating sexuality. These are two books I'm, I'm, I'm uh, throwing out. Liberating sexuality. Um, he made my flesh real good. And, <laughs> just, just. <laughs> and, and sex in the black church. Uh, Liberating sexuality by Miguel de la Torre and black, black sex in the black church by Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas. That's what I got. That's all I got. I appreciate you like putting that forward and putting that out there because I feel like that's another thing, right? Like that would keep me from going to church. Cause I'm like, if I'm expected to not curse, if I'm expected to, you know, not like I'm not following under the rules. Like maybe this isn't a place for me <laughs> because if you got to do X, Y, and Z to be part of the crew, that's not where I'm at. Shameless plug. I've got a good friend in Atlanta named Christian A. Smith who wrote a book called breaking all the rules. Um, about exactly what you're talking about. Check it out. That's all I got. That's all I got. That's all I got. Yeah, Demarius, I feel like you had something you wanted to jump in with. Because while Jocelyn did come back around too, when she said, well, typically those who are going to be, in, those who are going to you know the pastor, those who are involved in the life of the church who have been there for a little while. For me, so for me, in my perspective, that should, like, as, she said before, as she said, that should not be a prerequisite for me necessarily knowing my pastor. So, literally, so I literally remember the day that I met Dr. Hale. I'm like, it's like, like Dr. Hale also, um, because it was actually right after I joined the church. I'm like, hey, so I want to get to know my pastor. Do you want to get together for lunch or coffee? And she's like, it's wonderful. Send me an email. I'll put you immediately on my schedule. Let's go ahead and set this up. Me, me and her met out in Stonecrest. We were there for about three and a half hours just rapping. She was like, it's 
She's like, hi, you know, it's like, you know, I'm Dr. Hale, right, right now, this, this, this is Cynthia and Demarius, let's talk. Because I want to get to know you and I want to get to know you, get a chance to get to know me. And I, that really helps solidify a lot of our relationship. Even now to the point, I find relevant memes and I'm texting them to my pastor on my way to work. I'm on my lunch. I say, I'm on my lunch break. I'm like, here's like, here's something I just wanted to drop on in. Bam. And she, and she responds, she responds within the hour saying, you know, I appreciate this. This was funny. I'll look into this. Thanks for connecting. I hope that you're doing well. That's the kind of accessible. That's the kind of accessibility that I appreciate. And I recognize that not all pastors necessarily have to have that kind of relationship or can have that kind of relationship, but growing up, that was the relationship that my grandmother maintained with the rest of the church. She's like, yes, I'm your pastor, but if you need me, I'm here. Without overextending herself too much, as I know Dr. Hale also doesn't do the same thing, but making sure that it doesn't feel like there's a wall or that the temple curtain is up. <laughs> since, it, since, it was, since it was rent. <laughs> since it was rent. <laughs> but um, this, is, this is the other thing about accessibility. Like, there's also another piece to that. So I know friends that I have who are religious or, you know, like they have their own temple curtain up. I guess you could call it like it's not just the pastor, right? It's the people in the congregation who don't really make you feel welcome either. Like they're not accessible either. Like if you don't do X, do Y or they using all the church jargon, all the church words and then they quote from the scripture. And I'm like, well, this doesn't feel accessible for me because I don't speak in church speak. I need you to speak English to me. OK, can we just have a conversation? And then it's like, OK, like I understand God is important and he's a huge force in your life. But does he have to be part of every conversation we have? Like, you know what I mean? Like if, if the goal is to like bring people in, I feel like it's not just the pastor who sometimes struggle. I don't want to, you know, but this is sugar free. Like even like y'all two today, like I feel like y'all are in a little club and I'm not in it. Like y'all, you know what I mean? Like I, I can't explain it. Cause like, like y'all know like exactly what y'all are talking. Like I'm like, yeah, you, you're right. There are people in church that will absolute, absolutely make you want to not go through the front door and make it seem like it's a, a not even a contest. It's like a, a show, make it feel like it's a show. Um, and I believe my calling is to tear all that shit down. Just like, why? For what? Like... <laughs> And you're right, Demarius. Yes, it sometimes can be a contest. However, me personally, I I just I don't I just God, to me, God don't care about all that. God don't care about what you're wearing. God don't care about your stockings, your pantyhose, your pants. I don't think God cares about that. God cares about the condition of your heart and how are you treating people. Like, mm. how are you treating people? When people are being um, oppressed for their beliefs, for who they love, for um, what they believe, for, and let me be clear, not the people who are on the inside, the people that are on the fringe. So Christian, uh, white, cisgender, heterosexual male Christians are not oppressed. They're, they're just not. Um, but God is concerned about what we're doing for those on the fringe and I'm using fringe in quotes, right? For marginalized people, for oppressed people, what are we, what are we doing? How are we, how are we acting? Um, so yeah, they're, they're the congregational, like I can think of some church women I know 
um, that would make me not want to go to church. But also, I am a Christian, and the way I present right now is how I present it IRL, you know. So I hope that me being as candid, as real, as no holds barred in real life will make people see and know, oh, no, you can be a Christian and you can be a Christian and, you know, and sometimes I dissociate myself from Christianity because, ooh, sometimes it's, it gets a little embarrassing. Them video, That video of them people on that plane playing the damn guitar, girl, I would have told them people to shut the fuck up so fast. Hey, 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 uh, uh, please sit down, sit down, sit down, shut up, like, Everybody on this plane isn't a Christian. Christian exceptionalism says, I am a Christian, therefore you should be a Christian. Everybody should be a Christian when, yes, I am the way, the truth, and the life is a thing for Christians. Mm. Mm. I love that. I feel like what I've gotten from this conversation as we kind of wind things down is that it's all about hold on, hold on, hold on. It's all about finding your fit and kind of finding where you fit in, because honestly, talking to you guys today, like, I don't know that I've ever met like religious people who are like, you know, this chill and and I know you guys and and I know you guys in in real life right but it's like I don't know like in my mind I'm thinking like at church you're going to be a different person <laughs> you know what I mean or it's it's going to be a different environment and I'm just like if I only got you know 48 hours to do with what I want which is the weekend I don't know if I want to spend four or five of my hours you know like with those kind of people. And I hate to say those kind of people, but those kind of people. So two more gripes that I want to address before we close out. Two gripes that I have with church that I want y'all to chime in on. One is two dag one long. How do we fix it? Two. <laughs> my sister. So my sister has a thing that if the church got more than one offering, that ain't the church for her. <laughs> how do we overcome or how does the church overcome the perception of like it being a money grab? So to go back to your, so before the money grab question, we're talking about it being too long. Mm. Um, I grew up in churches where I grew up in church where service was like three and a half hours to the point at which I went to a 45 minute service. It was confused at how short it was. I was like, wait a minute, I miss Jesus. Cause I, I felt like I just got here. Now I'm nice and comfortable with my hour and a half, two hour long services. And it's tiring and it's tiring. Good tiring, but tiring nonetheless. Um, as it goes about church not being perceived as a money grab, it goes back to trans. It honestly goes back to transparency. It's which, which is a, which is a part about, which is a part of like, at least in my mind, the greater mission of the church as well is to be transparent with the people. And also to be honest with where the funds are going. Um, cause of course, cause of course we always, we always hear a lot about like the church is constantly getting like this much of an offering and this much of an offering and this much of an offering, but I'm not seeing the work being done and the pastors are living lavishly to address the issue, to address the issue about the pastoral salaries. We also sometimes have to, we also have to remember that the pastor's profession is at the church and therefore, and therefore should also get what their compensation looks like. Just as, just as if you are an attorney at a firm, you are a doctor at a hospital, you are a teacher at a school. And then if there is anything that is extra coming from it, 
and it seems to be exorbitant, then that's more so taking a look at, okay, is this coming directly from church resources or is it coming from their own independent ventures that are making money? That's, and sometimes sometimes those things end up being conflated. We talk, we talk a lot about having multiple streams of income, but then there are some pastors who legitimately have multiple streams of income and it's making it seem as though it's only from the church. I'm not saying there haven't been pastors who have exploited it. I'm just saying that's just a different perspective. But the other part is making sure that the people, not just the people within the four walls of your church, but also the community and the other people who are watching your church are aware of where the money is going. Um, so I know growing up back at home, my church had an annual meeting where the budget was read on through. It was like, here's where the money was going. It was doing X, Y, and Z, such and such and such and such. These bills were paid. We commuted, we worked with this charity. We did this. We did this. We did this. It has to approve a new budget. Now at the Ray of Hope, it's the exact same deal, except they bring so they bring in they bring in the spreadsheets, they bring in the charts, they bring in the pie graphs, they show where the money, everything else is going, and all that has to be approved with an open form for with an open form for questioning, which for me says a whole lot of which for me says a whole lot about the transparency of the church because it's like, here's the money, the money has been given, here's what we're doing. And then even throughout the year, I'm seeing the updates of, so this brick, this brick this brick of money went to this charitable organization. This is going towards this ministry. And this is going towards this project. And hey, we're finally able to say, hey, we're finally able to work on some of this construction and that kind of thing. So part of it making, part of it, making it seem like it's not a money grab is really about also demonstrating that the church itself does have to operate in some form of an institution, but that institution is the ministry of the people. And that is what always constantly has to be demonstrated. Yep. And the church said, amen. But um, I think to Demarius's point about uh, preachers and, and preachers, pastors, sta- clergy staff making salaries. Yeah, they need to make a livable wage, livable wage, livable wage and a wage that makes sense for the the places that they serve. Right. So. I've heard the conversations and I've seen the commentary around, oh, why does this person need a this? I've finished watching a documentary today about this uh, cult leader (laughs) out in Tennessee. Um, It's called The Way Down on HBO Max. It's really good. Gwen Shamblin, she passed away last year and woo. Anyway, the response from many people will a lot of times be, well, why do you need this lavish thing, this lavish thing? How does it compare to the people that you're serving? If you're driving a Lexus, uh, well, let's not even go Lexus, right? Let's let's go absorbent. If you're driving a Porsche, if you're driving a Bentley, if you're driving a Rolls Royce, and there are people in your congregation that are struggling to make ends meet, something is the matter. Something is the matter. Um, so yeah, it's it it can seem like a money grab, but how is the church using the money? That, uh, that's always the question. The the transparency, completely agree. Um, we're in budget season at my church right now, so people know what we, the church, are spending money on. The 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 church knows the benevolent or the the ways that we are benefiting people in our communities. Um, so yeah, and then the the how long church is part. The length of church is always subjective. It could be. Uh, uh hour long service could be long for a, a person who grew up in the roman catholic church that could be long an hour and a half service could be long for someone who grew up in a roman catholic church for me don't sit me in church for three hours ain't nothing god gonna say 
Not at this point, let me say. At this point, I don't need to sit in church for three hours. Mm-mm. And he it's could not- say it. You know, on Monday, he ain't got to say it right then and there. I got to say it right now. Right now, if, if, in three. And why do it take three hours to say it? Oh, my God. No, I'm not interested in that. Not at all. But, yeah. So, <laughs> church, church to me, doesn't necessarily. It, it, hmm. I have come. My, my experience very recently has been churches that are very um, prescribed and have an order of worship and and a set amount of time that we do things in. So I can't I can't right now relate to people being upset at church going too long, but it's it all depends on the person that's out there in the congregation and the history of the church. If the church is used to getting out at 12 o'clock and we are starting to get out at 1230 and 1245, we got a problem. We need to reassess. Yeah. So it's subjective. The 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 money grab conversation should point people to what is the church doing with the money? And then the uh the time conversation should point people to um should point people to what is the what is the history of how long services take and also to what are we doing in the time? How are we using the time? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I it's, mean, it's like entertainment, I guess. Like, is, is churches maybe consider entertainment? And like with anything else, like, you know, that's entertainment. Like, you can leave when you want, but I don't know if it's appropriate to leave. Like, you know, if I go to a basketball game, I, I could leave early if I'm done. <laughs> like, the game ain't over, but if I'm done at the third quarter, I can go home, right? Or if I'm watching a, a movie on Netflix, I can pause it and come back to it. Like, you know, like, because you guys have mentioned several times, the church should be evolving to meet the needs of the current people. And so... I don't know how the church is doing that, but I feel like a good place for us to end. And I know you chopping at the bit, Demarius, but we got to wrap it up. You good. A good place for us to end is I would love to hear your thoughts on what the church can do, should do to meet the current needs of millennials and where we are now, since both of you all have determined that we have not evolved past the church, like we need the church in the community. And so what can the church do to reach more people and to bring people in? So when I think of church, I think of the people. So I don't even think it's something that the church needs to do to draw people in. I think the church needs to go out. The church, the church has existed as a place inside of a building for a very long time. And the pandemic has showed us, we need people, we need people like feet on the ground. We need people out helping, serving, um, making conditions better. So uh, I think more people, I think people people may be more attracted to the church once they see that the church is actually made up of people who are involved in the community. Mm-hmm. So one thing that really attracted me to my church that I'm at now was that during all of the interviews, they share with me that 
they seek to be a congregation that is giving to the city of DC. So DC is a place where people come and consume, take, 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 like for whatever they need. Like I'm in this government position in order to move up in the ranks. I'm here to get this, I'm here to get that. And, and our church um, is here to meet the needs of the people in, in very tangible ways, like a memorial fund, um, providing diapers to families in the school that we meet out of, um, supporting this refugee family, also supporting people in our community, kids who may, you know, from the simplest of things to the most complex of things, the church should be in the community. Yeah. I love that. Demarius? I agree. Church needs, let, to, 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 take your, to take your phrase for the day, let the church say amen. Amen. Amen, and so let it be. Since that's the translation, so let it be. Um, for me, one thing about the church needs to do with regards to not only just the millennial population, but to everyone. Because the church, again, as I said before, is for everyone. Um, a combination of five things. Number one, being honest, and that's about that's not that's about that's not only just about being honest with the word and being honest with the gospel, being honest with the message that you teach, but also being honest, but also being honest with yourselves. And so also being honest with yourselves, being honest as an institution and being honest saying, so where are we? Where do we want to go? And how can we get there? We have a certain responsibilities and obligations. How can we meet them? And let's be honest about that. The number two, tra- the number two transparency, because it's difficult. It's difficult for people. It's difficult for people to better understand what something is a part of. They can't see what it is. Temple curtain, no temple curtain. Temple curtain, no temple curtain. Be transparent. Number three, communication. Um, because I've because I've definitely I've definitely seen my own experiences over my past almost thirty years now, where communication breakdowns in the church ultimately then result in ministries not moving forward, and people choosing not to participate, and people leaving from the church, and people people leaving from Christ altogether. And that's not good. Because I said I saw and I saw and I saw this on Facebook a little while ago that 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 that, that the love language of the Savior was conversation. Because in because in because in multiple because in multiple examples in the Bible you see it's just Christ and someone having a conversation, Christ and Peter having a conversation, Christ and the woman at the well, Christ and Mary and Mary and Martha, Christ and Lazarus, Christ literally sitting down having a conversation, figure out what's going on and meeting the need of the person. That's the model. Number four, respect. And number five, making space. Amen. <laughs> amen, amen, amen. And and I guess maybe for some people, they may decide that the place for them to do that is in church. And so I guess at the end of the day, as long as you're getting it from somewhere, that's that's all God wants, right? It don't have to be in the church, just as long as you as long as you do it. That's my interpretation. I don't know if I'm hundred percent right. I'm probably John 412. Uh 50% heathen, but that's okay. That's the evolution the church has to head for, regardless if it's not within the four walls, get it from somewhere and get it from where you need. Because God will find you. Where, God will find you where you're at. Well, hopefully he found a few people at the Sugar Free Podcast this week. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. I feel like 
we barely scratched the surface. Like, I feel like there's so much more. So that just means y'all have to come back. But before I let you go, we got to get into our sugar-free quickies. It's a series of either or questions and you just get to answer either or. No explanation, no nothing else. So are you ready? Wonderful. Who you got in a versus? CeCe Winans or Yolanda Adams? (laughs) Demarius, since you had the most shocked reaction, either or. Quick fire. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm choosing CC. I'm choosing CC. Okay. All right. Jocelyn. My answer is Yolanda Adams. I'll take Yolanda for 500 as well. <laughs> okay. So when you come on Sunday for church, are you coming for the word or the choir? Yes. Either or. What you coming for? I'm coming for them both. No, it doesn't work that way. You come you, if you, you got to come for one or the other this Sunday. <laughs> The word can come through the choir. So I'm choosing both. <laughs> That's how this works. So we're going to put y'all down for choir. All right. Favorite service, the Christmas service or Easter service? Easter. Well, personal favorite is Palm Sunday. So I'll have to choose Easter by default. Okay, perfect. Uh, what you wearing on Sundays? Dress pants or jeans? Demarius. Jeans. Okay. Jocelyn? Absolutely jeans. All right. I've been going to the wrong church. That is what I have surmised. I have been going to the wrong church. We have service at 10 a.m. on Sunday. Pull up if you want to. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Early is not my ministry. I don't do anything. We're going to brunch afterwards. (laughs) I'll see you at brunch. So anyways, I love you guys again so much for joining us. Thank you so much. I feel like I'm expired today. I feel like I'm inspired to set my game up from heathen to a regular just run of the mill center, right? Just just a regular one, right? <laughs> Y'all think I'm ready? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, even if I can't, God, he's going to forgive me. It will be all right. Right. Yeah, we'll be all right. Whatever religion you believe in or God that you pray to, or even if you don't pray at all or believe in God at all, we will be all right. So thank you so much again to our guests for checking in this week. And thank you guys as always, for tuning in to another fantastic episode of the Sugar Free Podcast. Make sure that you tune in for plenty of real talk and, of course, more of the most exquisite tea. That's 100% sugar free. Woo chow. Mm-hmm. What a show. We shared some good old tea today, didn't we, friend? Thank you for your presence. I truly enjoyed you at the tea party. And we appreciate you sipping on some sugar-free tea with me, your host, Sid Mack. Until next time, be sure to connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Sugar Free Podcast or at Sugar Free Pod. You can also visit our website at www.sugarfreepodcast.com. See you again soon, friends. And be sure to keep the tea party going, a with plenty of tea that's 100% sugar-free.
Tired of piecing your business forms together from an internet search? Tired of sealing all your business deals with a pinky promise? Looking for a way to add some formality and professionalism to your business relationships? Then you need Formally. Formally is a DIY legal form and template shop for entrepreneurs, small business owners, creatives, freelancers, dreamers, and side hustlers. All Formally forms and templates are drafted by an experienced, licensed business attorney and reviewed by a law professor. So, not to brag or anything, but our forms are pretty legit. So what are you waiting for? Throw those pinky promises away and try Formally today.